Welcome to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Now here's your Lighthouse Council host. Hi, welcome to The Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. I'm Jeff Jowdy, your host for today's discussion with fundraising consultant and author Jason Lewis. Jason, welcome to The Beacon Podcast. Thank you, Jeff. I'm glad to be here and looking forward to our conversation. For our listeners who may not be aware, Jason is managing partner of Lewis Fundraising, uh, the host of the Fundraising Talent Podcast that we'll talk about shortly, and managing partner of Better Schools. He's a certified fundraising executive and an AFP master trainer. He's well known for the challenging the deeply held beliefs and traditional assumptions of effective fundraising. Uh, Jason's a fellow with the eight principles and very exciting about his book, The War for Fundraising Talent, where he evaluates different situations and environments that can cause nonprofits to continually fall short of their fundraising goals, and he offers actionable advice, especially regarding development staff and retention, and it's a huge issue that plague our sector. Jason earned his master's degree in nonprofit management at Eastern University and undergraduate degree in business from Liberty University. Again, Jason, welcome. We're honored to have you on the Beacon Podcast. Glad to be here. Jason, a few key questions here, but in your book, you argue against what you term arm's length fundraising and stress the importance of building major donors. And you're a speaker of the truth, and you suggest that many organizations hear this, but rather keep doing what they've been doing in the past instead of restructuring and looking forward. Can you explain what you mean when you say arm's length fundraising and why it's worth making the switch? Yeah, arm's length fundraising is sort of a term that I've coined to sort of describe what I believe is actually an underlying philosophy that informs the way that that organizations believe that fundraising is to be carried out. The title of the book, The War for Fundraising Talent, is actually not referring to what we might assume to be sort of the competition of who gets to hire who, but it's more of this tension between two competing ideologies, one being ideologies that characterize how nonprofit organizations grow and thrive and how they fund themselves. And the one which aligns with this idea of arm's length fundraising is the notion that for an organization to solve its funding needs, it's this constant accumulation of additional donors. It's the assumption that there's always an additional donor for us to acquire, and presumably that donor will come with lesser expectations than the donor that we already have and ironically that they will give larger checks than the person that we already have. And then the case that I'm making in the book, and certainly the case that I'm making for those organizations that are winning what I would call this war, are the organizations that know and understand that highly effective fundraising really comes down to the relationships you already have and constantly raising the expectations of those relationships which in turn requires that we raise the expectation of ourselves. My sort of overarching critique on the way that the fundraising profession has sort of carried itself out for the last several decades is this idea that we could constantly raise the bar on expectations of our donors while increasingly 
offer a more shallow relationship in exchange. And I think we've come to the place and time where competition for that charitable dollar with the number of charitable organizations out there competing for that dollar and the nonprofit sector growing to a global scale, where we're going to have to bring those two better in line. And if the expectation is a meaningful level of support, you have to give the donor a meaningful relationship in return. Arms length fundraising is that pattern of behavior that always maintains an arm's length in large part to maintain a sense of control And over time, Jeff, evolves into, quite frankly, what becomes an organizational addiction. So any pattern of behavior, be it good or bad, any pattern of human behavior can eventually become a habit. And then when those habits become bad habits, we call them addictions. And arm's length fundraising is one of those organizational patterns that I see in a very large number of nonprofits that's ultimately undermining their ability to accomplish their goals. Likewise, counsel, and dangerous beyond organizations for our sector and our profession as a whole. So great call to action. Thank you. And Jason, you've mentioned that when you talk about a highly effective fundraising program, that there are things that a candidate can do if they're looking at a prospective nonprofit, higher ed, whatever the case might be, that they can determine whether or not the elements are in place or could be in place for a highly effective fundraising program. Can you explain that? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny that you asked that question, Jeff, because I was just on the phone with a gentleman from the West Coast. He reached out to me and has seen me talking about some of these ideas on social media. He's recently transitioned from one fundraising position and looking at another. And part of what I was trying to accomplish in the book and certainly was reiterating in my call yesterday with this gentleman is the idea that I think there's going to be an increasing awareness and an ability for us as the employees to discern whether an organization is operating in this arm's length fundraising sort of mindset. These two mindsets that I'm talking about, which ultimately the one mindset, this arm's length fundraising sort of culture, ultimately interferes with the fundraising professional's ability to accomplish their goals and completely forbids them from developing the skills that ultimately I think the marketplace is going to be willing to pay for when it comes to highly talented fundraisers. I think if you think about it in the context of the role that technology sort of playing, Giving Tuesday just being top of mind sort of idea that's certainly on the top of our, our mind here at the year end, technology is going to increasingly take care of that first time gift, that initial gift, whatever that gift is and and whatever amount that happens to be. And fundraising professionals need to be thinking about their careers and their opportunities to master this particular type of work in the context of subsequent gifts. So those of us who would be advising clients, people like yourself and myself, we well understand that all the extraordinary opportunity that comes through fundraising is almost always comes from a subsequent gift. It's not the initial gift that a donor gives. And likewise, fundraising professionals on the ground who are interviewing for a job with a particular organization need to be listening closely to their prospective employer and listen into whether some of this understanding sort of is woven into the language and the expectations in that job description that's being pitched to them. If your boss is talking about new donors and new acquisition strategies, 
New acquisition strategies are not designed to pay for themselves. They're in large part designed to break even, and they're not going to create adequate margin for you to get a lot of applause for what you're doing. That's not the goal they're there to achieve. They're there to achieve that initial gift for the purposes of cultivating to a much more meaningful relationship. And so you've got a lot of fundraisers that are interviewing for jobs with organizations that are somewhat naive to some of the things we're talking about here, completely unaware that the way this all works can really come down to sort of things like, okay, does my boss want me to focus on initial versus subsequent gifts? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's got to make sense to a guy like you. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you, just to, to reinforce that, what we see most times when a client comes to us and say, we need donor acquisition, and this reinforces, again, your point, an arm's length fundraising, they've got incredible donors that have been fleeing for years because they have not had a relationship with. Yeah, and, and it gets really messy. So you'll recall a few minutes ago, I referred to this as an addiction. So when we think of human behavior and we think of any kind of negative habit, bad habit that evolves, eventually becomes an addictive sort of behavior, these things really get tied to our identity. And so I think you've got a, a whole generation of fundraising professionals that have gotten their professional identities tied to new acquisition strategies strategies largely characterized by direct mail, special events, generally the way that we carry out grant writing and certainly anything that you can do on the internet. These sorts of methodologies, if that's the type of work that you want to get paid to do, it has to be understood that this type of work is not going to necessarily yield extraordinary margins and consequently is not going to get you a lot of applause. It certainly has its place in a comprehensive strategy, but it's not the place to be thinking that your organization is going to be hitting a lot of home runs. Amen. If there was one lesson that you wanted a reader to take away from the war for fundraising talent, what would it be? I think the message that I'm really trying to get out is one of those that I talk about in the second half of the book. And this is really a message not so much to fundraising professionals, but those who are hiring fundraising professionals. I tell a story, the name of the chapter of the book is called A Tale of Two Ryans, and I sort of chronicle my interaction with these two young men over a period of a couple of years. And the observation that I'm making is that younger professionals are coming into our field of work much more deliberately. So whereas a lot of us who have been around for a couple of decades would say that we've sort of stumbled into the profession and Oftentimes, we come into it from a a marketing or PR background. These are young people that are coming into fundraising very deliberately and choosing fundraising as their first path. Consequently, they're being trained and learning very quickly, much more expediently than maybe those of us who are a couple of decades older than them. And so my message to the employer is that these are sharp young people who actually are going to be able to quickly discern, again, whether or not you get how this really works, and they're going to take this very seriously, or otherwise they're going to flee. And so some of this criticism that we might level at, say, younger millennials who are hopping around for jobs, I don't think you're going to see that pattern of behavior quite so much just because of who they are, but so much because they're figuring out that, hey, your shop really doesn't know what it's doing. You're not orienting me towards a particular type of work that that allows me to really achieve extraordinary goals. 
And consequently, I've got to go find a shop that really knows what they're doing. And that's what I think, especially smaller shops. The, the One of the Ryans that I chronicle, he moved very quickly from a series of very small shop jobs to some very large institutions to the point now he's he's not even 30 years old and he's already working as a major gifts officer for an Ivy League institution. And my caution to employers is that if you're so fortunate as an organization to hire one of these young people who want to get out there and do extraordinary work and raise serious dollars for your organization, you've got to recognize that if you don't have your head wrapped around this the right way, they're going to very quickly move on and they're going to gravitate to the bigger shops and we'll never get them back. Jason, if you would, love to hear about the sales of your book and to our to our listeners, if you don't have a copy of The War on Fundraising Talent, you should go to Amazon right after you finish listening to this podcast. Um, all my early adopters were certainly here in the U.S. for the most part, and now I'm starting to hear from people. Just in the last month or so, I'd say I've probably talked to more people in other parts of the world than I was originally, say, in the first six months after the spring release. Impact worldwide. So again, a reminder, order the war for fundraising talent at Amazon. Uh, Jason mentioned earlier the Fundraising Talent podcast, and you can listen to those uh, podcasts at fundraisingtalent.org, and check out Jason's consultancy, Lewis Fundraising, at lewisfundraising.com, and I know Jason would be happy to connect with you on LinkedIn as well. Well, Jason, thank you again for your great insight today. We'd love to have you back and appreciate what you are doing to raise some key issues in our profession. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, Jeff. It's a pleasure to get to know you and and always enjoy the conversation. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Tune in every week for nonprofit topics with special guest interviews. Suggest future topics and learn more about upcoming podcasts and guests at lighthousecouncil.com.